Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> doing well today? Uh, yeah. So great today. Thank you, Lainey. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're awake. <laughs> um, get the turn the lights up. Yeah, thanks. I want to take a minute. I guess before I get into this, um, look around this room right now. And I mean really look around. Look at faces. Odds are really good that somebody you looked at is really struggling right now. You might be aware of the struggle or you may not. Um, but there's a lot of stuff going on with people that are part of this body. And um, I think it's time to go to war. Um, and so what I want you to do is that as, you know, if... If, you, if your eyes felt like they lit upon somebody in particular, um, or if you just know about a particular situation, this week, let's just make it a priority that we go after Amen. that and we lift those people up. And um, if you really, if you want to know, you can come talk to me. I'll give you some names. <laughs> Um, because I'm pretty aware of what's going on. But um, these are your brothers and sisters, right? And um, when family's hurting, when one member of the family's hurting, we're all hurting, okay? And so we need to, um, we need to dig in and, uh, and go after it. And uh, that's really all I want to say about it. But uh, commit with me now to do that. Let's pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for that word. And um, Lord, I just pray now that as this week progresses, that you will continually bring people to our mind and that we won't ignore it. We won't say, well, do it later. But in that moment, however long or short it may be, we will take the time to lift that person or those people up before you and to say, Father, now uh, I just I lift these dear brothers and sisters before you and I just pray your peace your comfort your understanding father whatever uh, they need in their life right now father just ask you to bless them and so Lord just we pray that you honor that prayer as in in, in all of us as we go through this uh, this next week and we give you praise and thanks and, and father I just ask um, your blessings in advance over this message today that uh, it would uh, penetrate uh, straight to the eyes and ears of our hearts. So I give you thanks and give you praise, and we ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's one classic bit of advice that you have probably heard in one form or another, uh, somewhere along the lines in your life. And that is, never talk about religion or politics. But I suppose when you are a former Catholic, which is what I was, turned 
charismatic evangelical Protestant pastor, <laughs> and you are visiting with your still Catholic cousins, a discussion about religion is probably inevitable. Do you remember this? So allow me to explain a little bit. I think this happened about eight years ago, but the dates don't really matter, but that's approximately the time frame as I remember it. We, the family, had gone to uh, my hometown of Evansville to, uh, I think it was for Thanksgiving. It's usually when we went back every year to visit with family and celebrate the holidays. We had um, Thanksgiving on Thursday, Christmas on Friday, and every, it was just a great weekend. Um, and while we were there, uh, my favorite cousin, whose name is Kathy, impressed upon me that it would be a really good idea to go over and visit with my father's twin sister. Uh, who lived fairly close to us, and uh, because she had five kids, I had five cousins in that family, and, and at least, I think, four of the five were still over there, okay, so it was a chance to see them. And so, um, you know, I, I, we said, yes, we'll do this, you know, and I love these cousins, but, you know, really since leaving for college, we all went our separate ways, and didn't really have, and we, we live all over the, the, the country, um, one, you know, one of the cousins is in California, one's in Ohio, you know, so they're, it's all spread out. So other than exchanging Christmas cards, we really have a lot of contact with each other. But she was right. I really needed, if no other reason, than to go to see my aunt, who is, you know, was getting up in years and, and wasn't going to be around for a lot longer. Uh, but the thing was, this was going to be the first time I was going to be coming in contact with them or face-to-face with them since this career change had occurred, right? So um, we go over to my aunt and uncle's house, and we're sitting on a couch, and the rest of the family is kind of just gathered around in sort of a circle, you know, the chairs and other parts of the couch. And, uh, you know, there are the cousins and their spouses and some sorted children sort of sprinkled into the mix. And... um, honestly cannot remember sort of what sparked this. But I could only assume that somehow or another the conversation had turned to what I was now doing, right? And um, I was sitting here. The wife of one of my cousins was sitting here, and one of her children was sitting here. So Okay, so close enough. And I'll never forget, the child turned to the mother and sort of stage whispered, I mean, didn't intend to, but that's sort of how it came out. Are they the Bible thumpers? (laughs) Oh, no. There. That's just kind of a, a remembrance of it. So obviously, we had been a topic of conversation before we got there, (laughs) right? And um, at the time, I really didn't do anything about it um, other than I sort of, you know, shot Sally the side eye to see (laughs) what her reaction was. Um, And I guess it was probably fortunate that it happened then because now that I am you know, I'm, I'm more secure in my identity, and I've gotten older, and I'm less concerned about what other people think. Uh, I probably would have gotten myself in trouble because undoubtedly I would have opened up at this point and said, well, you know, I've always been curious about that phrase. 
what exactly is a Bible thumper? <laughs> or something like that, you know, and would have embarrassed, you know, this, this cousin and all and so forth. But at least at the time, I had enough sense to sort of pretend that I didn't really hear what was said, and we just went on for the rest of the visit, and it was a little awkward, but it was fine, you know. And so I tell that story just to say that maybe you've been involved in a conversation that had that kind of a twist to it at some point. Um, or maybe it wasn't just awkward, but it was something that actually got kind of intense, maybe even a little heated, maybe like a full-on argument. Um, you know, I, I can remember telling a story because I had read this, and it, it was just really, you know, in a way, kind of heartbreaking, about this uh, woman young woman who said that she was not, she didn't feel comfortable going home for Thanksgiving because of all the sniping that her family had been doing at each other on Facebook over the election. And I'm just thinking, how tragic is that? You know, that, it, you know, that sort of, talk is, you know, has torn apart a family in a sense. You know, now hopefully they get over it and get back together, but that's just, that's sad. It just really is sad. And I mean, I've talked to a number of people who have told me that there are times when they feel like they have to walk on eggshells around certain groups of people for fear of saying something that's going to offend somebody else. And there, in fact, are numerous studies that have been done pointing to the fact that there is um, increasing religious, political, and social divides occurring not just in this country, but all around the world. Now, I came across an example recently, um, and this was just in the news this week, that was happening at my uh, undergraduate alma mater, Butler. Now, when their course catalog for the fall was published, it included an, uh, a course called, or a class called Trumpism and U.S. Democracy. Okay. Now, I read the course description for this class, and it didn't bother me at all. I mean, here's, what, here's what the first line says. This course offers a broad historical, political, and critical communication studies approach to understanding the rise of Donald Trump as a political and social phenomenon. Okay, that kind of sounds like an interesting class to me, all right? Something, whether you agree with it or not, but something unique happened in this last political cycle, okay? And I, personally, think it would be interesting to look at that and to sort of study that. Not everybody agrees with me, okay? And in fact, some of the alums were overly, uh, were very concerned. Some wrote they were worried that it was going to be um, too far to the left. Some were that it was too far to the right. Some were concerned that it was going to encourage, uh, that the students were actually going to be required to participate in some sort of resistance of some form. Okay. So, and this played out in, in the media, of course, you know, as soon as, the president's name was invoked, and that immediately makes it news. So eventually, it, it turns out that this weekend was their graduation. And so the university president sent out an email, and he was talking about commencement, but he also 
had to address this issue because it was kind of the elephant in the room, so to speak. And um, he wrote this um, basically to defend the class and the instructor who was going to teach the class. He said this, as I consider my own graduation as a religious studies major at John Carroll University, I remember a philosophy of religion course taught by a professor who consistently presented a point of view that we that would have students question religion and the ability to prove the existence of God. Okay? I truly thought the teacher was an atheist. Many years later, when reading his obituary, I was stunned to read he was a devout Catholic, attended church faithfully, and taught religion classes to the parish youth. There is great value when a faculty member sets aside personal opinions and beliefs and I am quite confident Butler faculty strive to do the same. It really reminded me of seminary. And I've, said, I've told this story probably many times, but there were evenings when, or maybe the next day, when I would come home, Sally would say, so, you know, sort of the, the, the adult version of, well, what did you learn in school today? <laughs> and I would start to tell her, and she would, she'd look at me and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Because... A lot of what we were learning was just like completely, you would think, was just not Christianity. Well, after a while, you sort of understood what the professors were doing. Because in order to get you to become confident in where you stood, where your faith was, they had to challenge it. Right? They had to make you start to, 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 try, to figure it out on your own. Because until you sort of had a grasp of that, you weren't going to be a lot of, of use to anybody as a pastor or in whatever um, form of, of Christian service you were going to go into. So, you know, there's this constant challenging of putting forth these ideas that just seemed wacky uh, that then forced you to kind of go, okay, well, what do I think about that, right? And I think... Part of the reason that stuff like what happened at Butler, we'll, we'll remove Mr. Trump's picture for those that are about to puke. Um, part of the reason things like this bother people is that the internet and cable news, unfortunately, enables us all to live in an echo chamber. And, and we only hear the opinions and the viewpoints that we agree with. Okay. So let me ask a question at this point. Do you think that these kinds of polarizing and adversarial conversations about difficult topics have impacted us as Christians? Well, I would say that absolutely, that you know, these same kinds of divisions are very much alive in the church, both within an individual congregation and with the church as a whole. In fact, religion can sometimes exacerbate these, these divisions because first one group and then another group all claim to have true grasp of the biblical position. You know, it's, it's somewhat remarkable, I think, sometimes how conveniently the Bible seems to perfectly match the political and theological beliefs of whichever side is claiming its support. So how ought Christians to vote? How ought we to face questions about social issues or like abortion, war, violence, inequality? 
What's the connection between faith and politics, between beliefs and lifestyle? In a cultural moment like this one, the church is really faced with a challenge. Do we reflect the divisions that are in the world? Or do we challenge, transcend, and overcome them? Do we run away from having hard conversations? Or do we believe in the uniting power of the Holy Spirit to help us find our way through them? See, I think Jesus' prayer for unity that we find in the Gospel of John sort of points the way. He says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. And so this whole idea, Jesus is just believing that the unity in the church serves a couple of purposes. First of all, it demonstrates the Trinitarian nature of God in relationship. Okay? It demonstrates an aspect of who God is. You know, th the three in relationship with each other. And second, it witnesses to the whole world and should inspire belief. It you could, but it might be harder to come up with a better summary of the central purpose of the church than to reflect God and to encourage faith in him. Now, from the very beginnings of the church, Jesus' um, Jesus' prayer is proved to be a wise one because it really is hard for human beings to reflect that divine unity. See, in New Testament times, Jews and Gentiles both struggled with how to connect the Jewish roots of Christianity in the broader social context of, of the world at that time. The early church struggled with what it meant to be faithful in the midst of a pagan empire. And then as the church grew throughout history, questions arose about church authority, about relations between church and state, and really how to translate the gospel into different cultures. And so there were all these conflicts that produced situation after situation in which obeying the commands of Jesus were harder and harder to do. Now in some ways, this gives us some kind of hope for the present. Now, you know, the church has never handled conflicts perfectly, but it has continued to be a faithful witness to Jesus and to his gospel. And over time, many of the divisions and the conflicts are either resolved or they're kind of put off to the side. So we're encouraged in a sense that we're not the first to kind of face questions like this, to have to deal with this. And so in, in this message today, and then there's going to be four that sort of follow it, they're, gonna, they're designed really to sort of help you as a Christian to have these kinds of discerning and effective conversations in love. Whether they occur in social media or in family gatherings or even in church settings with people who think differently than you do.
And so we're going to look at, at five affirmations that will uh, give us some guidance uh, about how to love as kingdom people. And there's a basic value that kind of is going to run through this about learning from others as we go through this, particularly from those who don't think like we do. And so we want to learn to have these kinds of hard conversations, but to have them in love and to bring a thoughtful perspective to, um, to challenging topics. So the question for us is, well, how do we do this when our emotions are high and our values get challenged? You know, if we can, if we can somehow transcend that, then... And we're able to actually bring life into some of these conversations. Um, and I think that's going to become an increasingly important virtue in years to come. Because as I said, these studies are showing we're getting further and further apart, not closer together. And so whether we're talking about you know, some sort of a hot-button issue like politics or race or violence, religion, we can bring to the moment, a Jesus-following approach that hopefully will lead to a life-changing conversation. Now, do the, does the Bible have any resources, you know, for sort of guiding us in these kinds of conversations? Well, as a Bible thumper, I can tell you there are some. <laughs> and so over the next five weeks, we're going to sort of explore you know, some of these themes that are there that will help us as we kind of move through this and begin to understand how better to have these conversations with people. So, of the five affirmations we're going to look at, here's the first one. That is not the first one. God has all truth, but we don't have a perfect understanding of it. God has all truth, but we don't have a perfect understanding of it. Okay, so the text we're going to look at today is this one from 1 Corinthians 13, 12, which says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now, I want to be true to this text. Okay, That's sort of one of the promises that I made to myself when I began this, was that it really bugs me when people take these texts and they take them out of context and they sort of bend them and shape them to try to fit, you know, what's, what's going on. And so uh, I don't want to do that with this. So most of us know 1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter. Okay, we've heard it probably hundreds of times at weddings. Um, just people like it because it talks about love and the qualities of love. But... I, I'm sure Paul would probably be astonished to find out that that's what's going on with his text because this is kind of like pulling it out of the middle of a conversation that he's having because to really understand 13, you have to understand 12 and 14 as well because it's all part of the same whole. And uh, it's a discussion that he's having about spiritual gifts okay, that starts in 12, goes to 13, and then ends in 14. And so, um, in context, this particular verse 
is part of an array of unforgivable, unforgettable images that all contain a promise of something greater to come. All right. So what they're saying now, and this is it, as it relates to spiritual gifts, is that what we have now is partial. But the partial will ultimately be replaced by the perfect. Okay. So what we see now in terms of the spiritual gifts that people may have and we in, in encourage them to use, that's only part of the story. The full will come when Jesus comes back. Right? That's the that's the perfect. All right, so that's what Paul is really talking about with this text. But then let me add this. Okay. While, Paul, while Paul is here applying this partial perfect argument to spiritual gifts, I really think you could make the same argument for almost anything in God's kingdom. So if you remember back to the previous messages from really the last six or seven, where I was talking about the line and this idea of the eternal and the temporal, okay? One of the statements that I made probably more than once was this idea that the truest truth is above the line, okay? So it stands to reason that just as spiritual gifts are a partial and imperfect representation of God's power and presence in the temporal realm, so too is the truth that we now possess only a partial and imperfect representation of ultimate truth. Okay. So if I were to paraphrase Paul teaching, Paul's teaching, the temporal promise of this dim and hazy mirror is the eternally perfect clarity of 2020 vision. Okay. And, and sort of to understand his analogy, uh, you know, he talks about this mirror dimly. Well, mirrors at that time were not like mirrors that we have. They were essentially polished metal. Okay, so it wasn't, you know, glass that was, I don't know how they make mirrors, but um, these weren't like those, right? It was just like if you took a, you know, a piece of tin or bronze, I guess. So you can see a reflection, but you're not going to really see any, any kind of real detail there. You know, I'd hate to shave to that. It would be difficult. Um, but now, of course, we can see very clearly, even yet, though, that w even though we're seeing a reversed image of ourselves. So we're still not seeing perfectly, even though we look in a mirror. Okay. So what this does is, I think, this whole idea of that we are dealing right now with partial truth is that it allows us to acknowledge at least two ways that human truth is imperfect. Okay. First of all, it's finite not infinite. And second, like everything else in the temporal world, it's corrupted by sin. And so if we sort of take those as our, as our starting point, then what conclusions are we able to draw from this? Well, the first is that, it's, that God knows the whole truth. Okay, We're swimming right now in a culture of relativism. Everyone's point of view is pretty much considered equally valid. And it's also a time period where someone's claim that, well, I know that my truth is better than your truth, or I know truth better than you do, ends up leading to these accusations of, of arrogance. Okay? So, understand, if you're a Christian and you're participating in some of these conversations 
uh, well, Christians sort of naturally emphasize the unique claims of Christ, and they proclaim, you know, the lordship of Christ above earthly powers. And that's correct. That's right, and that's good. But in doing that, we need to make an important distinction between God's perfect knowledge of the truth and our ability to know truth perfectly. All right? Second thing, it, re- it, it reveals, God reveals truth, and we must interpret it. All right? God's graciously revealed himself through the coming of Jesus, through the giving of Scripture, and through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. But human beings are imperfect recipients of revelation. Why? Well, we bring our own weaknesses, our biases, we have cultural blind spots. We bring all of that to our understanding of God's revealed truth. And unfortunately, you don't have to look very far back into church history to find examples of huge groups of Bible-believing Christians subscribing to ideas that were later proved to be horribly false. Think of examples of the religious wars in Europe that occurred after the Reformation, or the fact that slavery was justified on biblical grounds. See, enormous human suffering has occurred because of some people's quite sincere belief in what scripture clearly taught. God reveals truth, and we must interpret it. And then the third point is that we've got to approach truth with humility. And I think being aware of the historical problems that I just recited um, shouldn't lead us to refuse to hold on to the importance of pursuing truth because we're afraid of getting it wrong, right? We still want to pursue that. But what it ought to do is it ought to make us humble and to make us more gracious with the people that disagree with us or in with whom we disagree. And that doesn't mean we have to acquiesce or... Um, give in to all other points of view but wouldn't it bring a gentleness to our responses Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger so how do we talk about these things political, cultural, other kinds of issues How do we do that without yelling at each other? You know the people that hit the caps key and pound out an email or a Facebook response, right? You know they're not happy about something. So I think, first of all, when we're having a conversation like this, you've got to realize that the goal of the conversation is not necessarily to convince the other person that we're right and they're wrong. Okay? You have to at least take consideration of the possibility that you both may be partly right and partly wrong. Okay? We do not have perfect 
grasp of all truth, right? And it's also possible that, that you know, the other person is just plain old wrong about the issue from a theological standpoint. But it doesn't make them a bad person. <laughs> That's what so many people don't seem to get. You, know, you can hold on to a completely different viewpoint of things and still be friends. I mean, I don't know if any of you ever watched a show, I think it was on Fox, called Hannity and Combs. Okay, and these guys, you know, one was a very hardcore conservative, the other was a hardcore liberal, and they just would go at each other for an hour. And I think a lot of people would have been stunned to find out how close friends they were. I mean, these guys were really, really close. Uh, and Alan Combs died you know, recently, I think. And I remember seeing something that Sean Hannity had posted about, uh, you know, how, what a dear friend he was and what a good person he was. And he just went on and on about all these characteristics of this guy. And at least politically, these two guys didn't agree on anything. <laughs> and yet they were as close as brothers in pretty much every other way. And so just because there's a disagreement on a point of view doesn't mean that that person somehow doesn't have any connection to Jesus whatsoever or is in any way a bad person. Now I think what happens is when you get into, uh, well, where this sort of approach gets difficult is when you get into a situation where you're operating from this mindset, you know, okay, I'm going to be gracious, I'm going to figure that I, I might be partly wrong and the, other, and, and the other person might be partly right. That's all good and it's a little bit easier if the other person is kind of operating from that perspective as well. Okay, so what happens when you're operating from, I'm going to be an adult about this, I'm going to be gracious and so forth, but the other person is not. Okay, I refer to those people as EGRs. Extra grace required. <laughs> All right, so what if you're having these conversations with an EGR? Well, I think when that happens, you've got to just decide to extend the extra grace, okay? And just start asking some questions. I mean, I always look at, at incidents like that as an opportunity to learn. So ask the person, well, why do you believe that? What do you think about whatever, you know? And, and, and just make it an exercise in, in learning about the other person, maybe more so than just learning about the issue. Find out why they think that way. Okay? You might learn something about someone that you're close to that you really never knew before. All right. Second, and this is really hard, sincerely try to imagine a world in which the other person is right. Now, this is going to take some willpower. But if we are humble enough to realize that we all see through a mirror dimly, just as the other person does, then perhaps you can manage to do it. And I would say that if it's somebody that you truly care about or someone that you know you're going to see again, ask them for resources so that you can better understand their perspective. Say, hey, you know... <clears throat> I don't, I'm not sure I agree with what you're saying, but what, do you, what is it that you're reading or 
watching or whatever that has, you know, sort of convinces you of this. I'd like to look at it. You know, now, well, and then don't automatically discount the resource just because you believe it's biased. Right? So if you are of a more liberal mindset and somebody says, well, I watch Fox News. You don't go, you know, then you, you get the eye roll and, and all that. Well, okay, try to look past that. You know? and, um, and see, the thing is, maybe reading or listening to an opposing perspective only solidifies your own position. If, that's, that's, if that happens, that's great. Maybe it alters it somewhat. But I think either way, there's value in doing it. And what you will absolutely do is you will gain the respect of the other person simply because you made an effort to understand why they think the way they do. And that's going to open up even greater avenues of conversation. And then I think third is that we're going to choose not to believe that somebody's opinion about politics or about abortion or any kind of other social issue is the entire story about who he or she is as a person. Now, it may be that in talking with someone, you can arrive at no other conclusion that the person is tragically misguided. But that doesn't mean that there needs to be irreparable damage to your love for one another or your love for Jesus. And I would be willing to bet that every one of us here could name a situation in our own life where you were sure you were right, but in the end were proven to be wrong. You need to keep that in mind when you go into these conversations as a reminder to stay humble and to not assume that, uh, that you have complete and total grasp on all truth. So here's your assignment for the week. Now, as you go about your week and you're engaging others in conversation, or if you're just listening to the news or you're reading blogs or Facebook or whatever it is you might be looking at, and specifically about subjects where there is the potential for disagreement, Okay. I want you to imagine that Jesus is part of this conversation. That was kind of interesting because Laney said something during worship uh, about uh, using your imagination. Okay, uh, I had a homiletics professor at Virginia Union. His name was Dr. Nathan Dell. And as he was talking about how to construct sermons and so forth, he said, there were times when you have to use your sanctified imagination. Okay? I would call this exercise WWJS. What would Jesus say? And so as you're, as you're going through this and you're, you're engaging in this material, what would, what, would the, what would Jesus' focus be on this particular subject? What questions do you think he might ask? What would his tone be in talking about this? Are there any of his words in the Bible that would give you a hint as to how he might respond? If you think he would disagree about something, how do you think he would do it? 
and still express his love for the person. And I think if you will do this, if you will just engage in this exercise, along with you know, remembering some of these other thoughts about how do we handle truth, I think you'll be well on your way to having deep, deep, deeper and more meaningful conversations with everybody, not just people that share your point of view. And I think if it's our goal, if it's the mission, really, of the church, of Christians, of each one of you individually, that's what Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that was not, that was both, I should say, sort of a global command, and it was an individual command too. So if that's our mission, to introduce Jesus to a broken and hurting world, isn't being able to engage lovingly in hard conversations a really good place to start? So as we, uh, as we get ready to go into uh, our ministry time, I just want us, want us to, as Lindy starts to play, um, we just have us kind of sit quietly for a minute. And I just want to see what the Holy Spirit would like to do today. And maybe it's an extension of what I you know, was saying earlier about engaging in warfare. I mean, if you know right now, you know, as I said, of looking around and seeing somebody that um, you know is, is dealing with issues, then maybe this is the opportunity to start engaging in that warfare with them and for them. You know, if you looked around the room and God's kind of highlighted a face, then go up to him and say, you know, when I, when I looked around, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was sort of highlighting you. And so I just want to pray with you right now. You don't think that would bless someone if you did that? See, this is what it means to be Jesus to a hurting world. We've got to get past the guess the awkwardness that so many of us seem to feel about talking about our faith or engaging someone in it. And I mean, quite honestly, if you can't do it in here with people that you know and love and who know and love you, how are you ever going to do it outside these walls? Which is exactly where we're supposed to do it. Okay, so it's got to start here. And I think what you'll find is if it starts here, you'll finally figure out, gosh, you know, this isn't so hard. <laughs> and then when you're out and about and you're in the grocery store or you're somewhere else and the Holy Spirit highlights someone else just like they did here, you'll go, oh, I bet I'm supposed to go pray with them. And so you'll maybe then take that next step of going and saying, you know, um, hi, I'm a follower of Jesus, and 
sometimes he tells me things and sometimes he shows me things and I felt like he kind of pointed you out and is there something I could pray about with you, for you? What are they going to do except say yes or no? Never in my life heard of anyone getting punched when they did that. So, so many of us are afraid of things that are never going to happen. And so we're letting that fear dominate our lives. Got to get past that. Got to get past that. If we're going to have any impact. And I'm not just talking, you know, it would be great if this place were full every Sunday. That would be terrific. But that's really not what we're talking about. I'm talking about kingdom stuff. You know, whether that person comes here or comes somewhere else is irrelevant. We're about bringing people into the kingdom. Okay? Had a wonderful time, time, National Day of Prayer on Tuesday. And I mean, there were people from all different kinds of churches and all different kinds of, of perspectives. And they all, we all packed into this tiny little church and got all hot and sweaty together. But we were praying and praising Jesus. So if you could turn the lights off, please. So just use this opportunity as, as the Lord guides you. If you I'm going to pray a blessing if you need to go. That's fine. If you'd like to stay and just worship, that's fine. Whatever the Lord sort of leads you to do. And then remember that we'll be back here at 5 o'clock for Holy Spirit Night. and Just another time to kind of sit and soak in God's presence. So Father, I, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for your wisdom as it uh, pertains to having hard or difficult conversations with people. Continually remind us, Lord, that we don't have all the facts. And so that we need to extend grace to, uh, to our friends, our neighbors, our family when we don't agree with them, with everything that they believe or say. And Lord, give us the courage to take the love that you show us out into a world that is very much in need of it. So, Father, I just ask right now that your Holy Spirit and would highlight for all those who are here, people that they should go and pray for, who very much need to hear from you today. So bless each, each person here as they, either, as they either leave or stay. Father, as they eventually go out into this world, let them be a light to the path of others. And Lord God, we just thank you and praise you. And I offer these prayers up to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen.